Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. And welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your independent voice of Fulham FC. And tonight we are doing the Fulhamish phone-in. We absolutely love doing these. It's been a little while. We did one towards the end of last season. Basically a forum to get some of you guys who listen every single week uh, from around the world on the phone uh, to speak to us to whatever issue that you fancy speaking to us about. And God knows there's plenty of them going on at the moment. Joined on tonight's podcast by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. So uh, plenty to get through tonight. Always love doing these. It's just nice to give yeah. fans that voice, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's just nice to talk to people. And obviously, you know, there's, there's many of us in here and we often agree with each other. And it's good to get, get some opinions on, on, from outside of us and also to, to get some topics that we might not necessarily have thought of. Uh, before we crack into the phone-in, just to say that Fulhamish is sponsored this season by Ladbrokes. And right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5, get £20. That means if you deposit a fiver, Ladbrokes will add another 20 quid to your account. Right, the uh, the phone lines are hotting up, so I think it's time to take our first call. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Louis, thank you for joining us. That's all right. Um, you wanted you. to talk about some potential January signings now that Craig Klein has gone from Fulham. Yeah, basically because I'm wondering if we'll see more of what Slav wants to bring in. And we've seen in the past couple of days that we, you know, he wanted to sign people like Tammy Abraham before he went to Bristol City. But also previously he's wanted to sign Cameron Jerome and just sort of what can we expect in January? I don't, I don't think anyone's anyone's sure is is basically the thing, Louis. Now you know there's there's a lot of a lot of chat being being put around about the kind of Abraham and the Moy and and all that kind of stuff. But we, as we said, you know earlier in the week, this is you know for every bad thing that Craig Klein did in in banning you know in in saying no to these players who are obviously excellent players like Andreas Pereira, who's now at Valencia, and all those kind of things. He, he's also stopped some Deadwood coming into the club. So I think we'll probably see a bit more of both. I think we'll see some more household, if you want, names coming in, you know, recognised championship players who, who maybe aren't, you know, necessarily going to set the world on fire, but will know what to do in this division. But also we'll, we'll probably see some, some youngsters coming through who now don't have to tick the boxes quite so much. So, you know, we can be optimistic in in that regard, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see... Uh, some a couple of you know maybe a bit more randomly useless players come in in the mould of Craig Cathcart or, or Cameron Jerome. The, the player I'd like to see to as make a move for now is uh, is Scott Hogan at Aston Villa, who is on the fringes there. Uh, he's obviously got championship pedigree. He, he, he's done it with Brentford. He's a quick striker, but he's also quite powerful. Can hold the ball up, uh, and I think he'd be able to do a Chris Martin job while holding up play. Who who would you like to see come in? Even if it's not someone you know necessarily established in in the championship but someone that can hold the ball up like we had with that striker from Derby um, yeah that one um, <laughs> someone that can hold the ball up someone that can really unleash the potential of, of Aite as he was last season and Cabano as we saw towards the end of last season but I also think we do still need to strengthen in defence and I read somewhere that Slav wanted to sign a centre-back to be able to play three at the back, and that was blocked. I don't know if that's something we will then revisit in January. You would imagine so, given how badly, actually, we've been doing defensively over the past few games. And I'm still of the opinion that Michael Maddell could do a job for us, but at the same time, we said this before the season started on our um, 
Fulhamish Championship preview that we would probably expect to get a couple more first team calibre centre-backs in and the only thing we did get was Thomas Callas back who hasn't been anywhere near as impressive as he was last year. Um, I think if if it was up to me I'd quite like to again probably raid Wolves and for some reason I'm really obsessed with raiding Wolves. And, I just um, think that now unfortunately... I really, I yeah. really like Courtney House from Wolves. He's he playing though, isn't he? He's not really getting he's not really getting that much playing time. I think he can do quite a lot, especially in a three man defence now that he's been coached by Nuno for the past sort of six six to eight months. So I think it'd be a, a good addition to the team. I think I'd just like to see someone of good championship calibre come in and do a job. Um, I think we could do a lot worse, and some of you are probably going to scream and maybe cry when I say this. But Aidan Flint from uh, Bristol City is a, is a well rounded and fairly good championship defender who may he, do a job in the Prem. Did you see um, Aidan Flint's header on Saturday against Cardiff City? What a howitzer. It, jumps I mean, about three me- jumps about three metres <laughs> in the air. I've never seen anything like Your it. Your boy has a leap on it. <laughs> um, Dom, who would, you, who would you look to sign in January? Players we should have signed in the summer, which, which are like, <laughs> set, which would be a uh, centre-half and a goalkeeper. I think Rui Font is a great striker. He just hasn't had the support he's, he's like, had up front. I think... You could even argue look for replacement number 10 because where is ours at the moment? Piazon's out injured and he's the only option. So I think, yeah, we could go for a, a good championship quality goalkeeper because as good as Button has been this season, we can obviously get better. And I think, um, as we've been mentioning, a centre-back's needed because as much as Tim Ream and Callas were decent last season, anything in the air or any physical presence seems to just put them off. That Sami Amiobigo, I still just can't get over yeah. how poor the defending was in that. And if you got someone like Aidan Flint, who's a no-nonsense defender, he won't take anything like that. And the good thing about Aidan Flint is he gets a lot of goals as well. Mm. That is one thing you've got to see. He, he does score quite a lot of goals, especially the one, was he, one he got last year when they beat us 4-0. He, was, he got like an open goal tap-in from... Like, I don't know how a centre-back does that. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind taking aim Flint in Bristol City. We were kind of half-linked with him in the summer. But I think it's just improving our defence because I think once we have Tom Kearney back fully fit, our attack will then begin to flourish. But I still always worry about a defence. And I don't, if I'm really putting just other systems out there, maybe a defensively competent fullback. Louis, just before you go, it'd be good to get your thoughts generally on the Klein situation now he's gone. Are you and the rest of the Fulham clan that I know you travel with happy that he's departed and Slav's got a bit more authority? Well... Yeah, really. I mean, as, as much good as he's done, and you know, we can't fault some of the signings that have been brought in because of him. It does seem that Jukanovic has just been undermined at every single step. And if he wants to implement his system, if he wants to, like I mentioned, play three at the back, and he's being blocked doing that, I think it's probably better that he now has a steadier hand on the wheel. Louis, thank you so much for your call. Cheers, Louis. Yeah, see you guys soon. Okay, well, we move on from Louis onto Nathan on the phone in. Nathan, thank you so much for your call. Um, you had some questions about the atmosphere at Craven Cottage and how it's not a very intimidating place to visit anymore. I guess uh, four wins in 18 home games potentially uh, might be a result of that. Yeah, bad start, that, isn't it? It is indeed. Really bad. You know what I think? I, I go to every home game, season ticket holder. I sit right at the back with the Hammersmith end and I look down when other teams come to take corners. There's never any abuse at them. They get clapped <laughs> over to the corner and I'm there and I'm like, wow, what are we doing? And when when teams come to Craven Cottage, then they don't fear us. They think that we're going to be pushovers as if they can attack us more than we can attack them. And I hate it. You know what I mean? 
Do you, what do you think could be done to improve this problem from not just a get more intimidating fans point of view, from a, from a logistical sense, maybe by the club, actual possible ways that this could be resolved or improved? Starters, I think we should get a senior section. Okay. And I also think that the away fans should not be in the best stand in the in the um, ground. And I think the Hammersmith end, the, ham, the people at the back of the Hammersmith end, at the end, people at the back of the Hammersmith end need to be close to the away fans. Um, a better atmosphere, and the better atmosphere means the players will play better. I certainly wouldn't be adverse to the Hammersmith and Putney ends switching round. Um, with me is Don Betts, a fellow back of the H5 when he's not down having a beer um, section. Don, would you be happy if the stands switched over like that? Do you think that's something that um, would improve I think, things? I think it's more to do more than that. I think the whole atmosphere thing as a whole, English football thing as a whole, not necessarily just Fulham. Um, as you as we've seen, whenever a big European team comes to England, they've got mad fan base, they've got flares, they've got everything. I'm not saying we need to bring that into the club, but the whole big thing at the moment is we England there won't be good atmosphere in English stays until health and safety laws are relaxed. That's the way I see it. Because Safe standing, I don't know what has been introduced. I've written, I've been part of it in Germany. It makes the atmosphere a lot better. Everyone, when you're standing up, you're bouncing. It, it just improves the atmosphere. I think that, though, yeah, there needs to be a section specifically for the fans who want to create um, create atmosphere. And you've seen at Huddersfield's ground mainly is one I would point out, that they've put this massive section right next to the away end and then it creates that sort of banter between the two sets of fans and it's not like yeah. one end of the ground sharing at the other end of the ground. And obviously in Craven Court, it doesn't help with the River Thames right next door, which in the gaps just soaks up all the atmosphere. So I think it is a good place to start, but I think it's sort of English football needs a complete overhaul to the way they're going to do it. And if safe standing was introduced, would it just would it just be the Putney end, safe standing? So you have the away fans and then the main home fans there, and then you have three sort of seating sections. Because so I can't see an entire Hammersmith stand being a standing section and there being enough people who want to stand there because a lot of fans mm. go go to games just want to sit down and, and watch a good game of football when we or well, last season anyway um <laughs> but, but i think yeah i think it's just like a complete over, overhaul needs to be needs to be made and i think it will it will take a long it will take a long time it's not something that can happen immediately but i think there are certain steps like creating a singing section and moving that next to the away fans whether that's in the riverside or whether that's in the putney end itself i think yeah i think there's you just got to start somewhere and i, I don't really see fulham doing much to promote support a culture in much ways. I mean, they've started tweeting about like cheap train tickets where you can get them, but they can still tweet that earlier. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's just a complete overhaul from Fulham and a lot of other English clubs as well. Yeah. Um, also, I'd just like to ask you guys, obviously you two went down to Wolves, didn't you? Yeah, that was, not, that, yeah was, we were. that was not fun. On the TV, I had to watch it at home. Did not hear the away fans once. Is that because we weren't singing or is that because there wasn't enough of us or what? There wasn't much to be singing about, if I'm honest, Nathan. Oh, yeah, that's um, no, true. We, as in, you know, a lot of us spent a majority of, you know, as soon as the second goal went in, it was time to go to the bar, and uh, it really was diabolical. I, I think, you know, it doesn't help. We didn't, we didn't, you know, I think we brought 600, probably less. Probably less. I think um, when we look, ticket sales on Wednesday afternoon was just below 400. I think it's, it's important to remember that, you know, those things, we got to, you know, Wolves, the Friday night games are obviously tricky for some people away, you know, people mm. work and, and people have, you know, college, school, whatever. Um, you know, it wasn't, the che- the trains from, from London to, to Birmingham were, were six quid. Like, it was six, you could get a train home that was nine quid and tickets weren't expensive. 
I, I find it, you know, it's one of those ones where, like, you know, I'm not here saying I go to every game. I'm not. I'm not dumb. I, I, I travel when I can. I, you know, with some of us, we, we do. We all have different commitments and whatever. But you know, we travel when we can. That one of, of all the games, that was a reasonably easy one. Um, it's an hour into Birmingham or an hour and a half, and, and then it was a, it was a quick hop across the Wolves, and it was all very lovely. The, you know, Wolves was nice, and it, it was made very easy by by the fact that there was a train home that night. And it's one of those ones where, yeah, there wasn't much to sing about, but two, there wasn't that many of us. And, and you know, it's never great on the telly because, you know, you're surrounded by things. But Wolves are also buoyant. They're, you know, they're top of the league. They're, they're mm. you know, they're making they're making a lot of noise at Molyneux at the moment. And, and, and I think it's fair enough if we were we were top of the league and we were you know we were flying and we weren't making any noise at home i'd kind of i'd, I'd question it more than us going away to league leaders with few people and and not making that much noise yeah i see um also back to the point of what i would do to improve the atmosphere i'd get rid of the clappers yeah well, i mean away. we're all we're all in agreement on that one it, yeah. Well, we don't know the we don't know the answer, but yeah, someone must all, have some sort yeah, of all idea. Considering all Birmingham City used them for when they played Villa in the Midland derby was weapons to attack Snodgrass <laughs> and John Terry with. You got you got to do what you got to do, I yeah, suppose. When, do, John, when do, John Terry's yeah. involved, um, <laughs> in, in terms of in terms of your original point and and moving the stands around, there, there, there's one kind of major demean, you know demeaning factor from this, and and yes, I I think that if you put the stat you know the away fans into into a potentially worse position and, and put them next to home fans. There would be more of an atmosphere. I don't think it would. I don't think it would necessarily change the atmosphere too much. I just think away fans would not come to the cottage and think there isn't an atmosphere here. It, they'd just be more aware of what was going on at the other end. And you know, acoustically, the cottage doesn't work like that. It, and you know, unless it's very much packed to the rafters and and there is no space to to breathe. It's very hard to get that going in the atmosphere because we have gaps between the stands. And you know, if you if you'd asked me if I would change that for a kind of Majeski Meccano kind of stadium, which you know doesn't have gaps in it and and yet lacks any sort of you know genuine kind of character, then I'd probably say no. And I I agree with your point. And I'd I'd like you know I'm as much as anyone would like there to be more atmosphere in Fulham to be a more intimidating place to come. But would I change the kind of like you know the the way that the cottage looks and the way the cottage is in order to you know do that? I don't I don't think I would. Yeah, and also just a um, couple questions now. I listen to your pod every week. Absolutely love it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. No, thank you. That's genuinely very much appreciated. But I just feel like it's got to the point now. Ryan Sessignon, he's played his he's still young card one too many times. In, in terms of what, mate? What, what would you do with him? If I'm honest, I'd drop him for... Um, I'd play Rafa Suarez, give him a chance. I'd drop him because I haven't seen anything that I enjoy with him going forward because I feel like we've got better wingers. God knows where they all are, though. Yeah, Why they are missing Molo them. only coming on in the second half? I do not know. Slavisa needs to sort it out. And I saw your tweet, Jack, the other day. Slavisa out. I disagree with that personally, but you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's had... There's so much going on at the club behind closed doors that we don't know about. Yeah, of course. It's becoming a joke. Yeah, 100%. A joke. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we're going to... you know. It, <laughs> Slavisa, we think now has a stay of execution because of the whole client thing, and and that's you know that's kind of just how it is. And yes, I think you know Slavisa is tactically inept at the moment, but you know we have to you know we have to give him the benefit of the doubt in the fact that he did actually make things happen last year. And yeah, okay, that was said in the heat at the moment, and and one of those things. And I don't I don't back down from it, but at the same time, like if he's going to stay, then we got to support him, and and that's the kind of the thing. If he's here and he's the manager, I don't you know necessarily think that that's you know one hundred percent the way forward, and I don't think this is all. 
Craig Klein's fault by any means, but I think it's one of those things that we, if he's here, we have to get on with it while at the game. You can criticise afterwards in the way that I did and, and whatever, and, and people can have their opinions, but at the game, you know, we've got to just get behind him and, and keep hoping for the best and keep hoping that something's going to change it. And I hope that Slavisa proves me wrong, is, is, is the honest answer. Yeah, yeah. I don't want David Moyes coming to our club like he'd come to West Ham, mate. Yeah, well, that's, that's it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed not. Um, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate your call. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Have Cheers, a great mate. evening. Cheers, mate. See you later. Okay, lads, uh, time to cross across to the continent right now to our man Archie. And he is, of course, a Bundesliga correspondent, but also a weathered Fulham fan. So nice to speak to you, Archie, as ever. You too, Sammy. I think I think weathered is perhaps the uh, is, is is the correct terminology given what's been happening in the last uh, few weeks or months. Uh, but, well, uh, but yes, well, it's been a crazy uh, seven to ten days uh, in the Fulham land, and that's just off the pitch. Let's not even get on to what's been going on it. Um, Craig Klein has left the club in the most dramatic uh, of circumstances. What's been your making of it? I think that you can look at what's been happening off the pitch and I think you can very much link it to what's happened on the pitch because when you have that sort of poisonous influence off the pitch and the way that that is affecting people trying to do their jobs at the club in terms of the way that they're working, that will ultimately seep down. You need to have a club which is pushing in the right direction and and, and everyone is trying to pull together and I think that that wasn't the case with with Craig Klein. I think that he's got his own his own in terms of issues to deal with in, in the fact that you, you can see that in terms of by what was happening in terms of calling the police when uh when everything happened as as it did the, the other week. But I think that that the fact that he was allowed to have so much influence and so much almost absolute power, it it, it speaks for in terms of the the club not learning the lessons from uh, from the Felix Magat saga in terms of allowing somebody to wield that sort of absolute power. This was a completely different case, obviously. But given the way that he was able to take on uh, Slavisa Jokanovic, for example, I don't think that's a very uh, that, that, that was a very healthy um, scenario. And uh, albeit the, uh, the, the rest of the uh, English footballing world has, has been able to have a laugh at Fulham's expense. And, and to be honest, I would, I would imagine most Fulham fans have as well at the uh, sumo wrestling story, which, which came out in, uh, of the press at the weekend. But uh, I think it's, um, it's a real disappointment because ultimately it's, it's got in the way of the club being able to build on what was its best season in since since being relegated to the champion uh, since being relegated to the championship uh, a few years ago Shahid Khan for me is one of the top business minds he was in the top 100 business minds in Forbes magazine um, not too long ago runs a hugely successful business runs uh, well not that successful NFL team although they are doing Good much this better this season I do know that but how can such an established businessman be letting such farcical situations and circumstances be, ha- be happening in his own club. It, it, it bewilders me. I can't doubt the way that Shahid Khan wants the best for the club um, and, and the way that he's gone about that. You can see that in terms of the way that Tony Khan goes about his, his business in terms of the club. That, that There is a desperation from him to succeed. 
However, it's the way that I think they try and find their solutions and, and this this absolutist approach in terms of thinking that it is possible, I mean, in, in Shard Khan's case, in terms of by appointing Felix Magat, um, or indeed in Tony Khan's case, by bringing uh, Craig Klein into the club, um, although by the end, I'm not sure how how willing uh, <laughs> how willing he he was in terms of, uh, of of that happening. I think I think there was a breakdown in in relationship there as well. Um, but I, I think that the way that they go about their business there, they are not footballing experts. You can see that in terms of the way that that indeed they've they've conducted themselves. They need, I think, to have more of an ear towards in terms of the people who are more knowledgeable, have more experience. Um, in the field, um, and then that way they can achieve what what Fulham fans want, and indeed what they want in terms of having a a club which is able to perhaps push up to the next level. But I don't think, for example, given the transfer business that was done over the summer, and and the, the fact that none of the new signings really, I think, maybe being harsh on Oliver Norwood here, but I don't. None of the new signings have really. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Um, have have really landed. This summer, um, I, I don't, I don't think that's helping. I think that kind of the culture of, of, of Fulham in terms of has been has been very much affected by the Craig Klein affair. And I think actually Slavisa Jakanovic, who as he, he, he deserves to, he, he deserves some stick. I think for the fact that there has been no Plan B really in in the last few weeks. Indeed, like despite the fact, I, I think the most annoying thing for Fulham fans is the fact that you can see this uh, this train coming every week at you in terms of clubs know how to set up against Fulham now mm. um, and, 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 and have done for a while. Yeah. But it of- seems like there's no plan B when the club goes one nil down. Sorry, I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you, Archie. I, one of the one of the points I was I was going to make though is you know at one point you said in, in there that they needed to have more of an ear to the ground in terms of you know talking to people about about what they think is not necessarily what they think is best, but people with footballing minds and people who obviously you know have the club's best interests at heart. In, in fairness, the last time they did that, they put a five man panel in that appointed Kit Simons, which was clearly not the right decision in hindsight. Okay, maybe it looked like it was at the time, but that panel didn't put their foot down and basically say, actually, what we need to do here is, is you know, as five very important footballing minds that care about this club is is maybe not give in to popular sentiment and actually appoint someone who in the long run would, would have done and that would have, you know, put his foot down and made the right decision. Uh, and ultimately, through that affair, what happened was we ended up with Jokanovic coming in off, you know, at the same time, really, as the kind of analytics uh, and, and then therefore them being a clash. Whereas if we'd made that decision earlier on, then Jokanovic would have won, would have had an extra year than where we are now. Uh, and two, wouldn't have necessarily had to deal with the kind of analytics department coming in at the same time and having that kind of power. Here's the thing, though. I think that a good analytics department can do its job. Yeah, agreed. We, it, we completely agree. Much, it, it can it can very much help, um, and as 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 you say as well. But I think that the problem was was not necessarily what Craig Klein was was suggesting. There were some there were some salient points that he was that he was trying to put across. But his personality um, and the way that he worked was not befitting of, of being able to work in the atmosphere that you you have to be able to deal with in, yeah. in a football club and the fact that he was unable to to recognize the the negative outliers if you will in his system and you look at the amount of bad signings the name secure the, the, the name suck i can't even pronounce it Sarkiri Matilla. Matilla. 
There we go. Um, what a club legend he is, perhaps alongside Mark Fotheringham um, in terms of that, that centre midfield partnership. But no, in, in all seriousness, the, the fact that he, I don't think he recognised that whilst players' stats may be good, for example, that you have to take into account what they're like in a dressing room. I had some French journalist friends of mine who were... Uh, have constantly be badgering me about how Johan Molo has been doing because he had a history of not perhaps behaving uh, with the greatest integrity. If we're going to put this diplomat, if we're going to put this <laughs> diplomatically uh, um, off the pitch, and, and the fact that it was bizarre. Okay, he had good numbers, but you have to take into account what people are going to be like in a dressing room. If you look at the success that Fulham had in terms of the, the peak of it in in 2010, that was because you had a dressing room who had not necessarily achieved something together and, and that they all had a point to prove together collectively. They were all pushing in the right direction. There were many factors at play as to why, as to why it helped. I, I think the springboard of nearly getting relegated in, in 2008 can give you a certain momentum as well. But equally, I think that it's a lot of different factors which are pulling against Fulham right now. And I think that having the sort of things that's been happening with Craig Klein and then for what, to, for what has emerged off the pitch as well, um, I, I think it's understandable why there's been such a negative impact on the pitch. How are stats and scouting perceived in, in Germany and yeah. how, how does it differ to the very negative um, standpoint that we get over here in England? There's almost, I think, this old guard uh, resistance towards it. You, you see some of the tabloid press here kind of, kind of blithely uh, labelling Julian Nagelsmann, for example, who's the coach of Hoffenheim, who yep. took them to the Champions League, and, and Domenico Tedesco, uh, who, who is the coach of Schalke. He's one I think you'll hear about in the next few years. Yep. You, you hear them call them laptop trainer um, <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in, in the press, meaning kind of laptop coaches. I think that there's perhaps a little bit of a media um, reticence towards it, but I, I think that people know that it, it has its uh, it, it has its role in the game, but but not that it, it accounts for absolutely everything. Well, off the back of Craig Klein's sacking, how do you think Fulham as a club are going to change? Do you do you feel like there'll be a bit more of like consideration for backroom stats um, and coaching and scouting coming closer together? And or what players would we get in off the back of that? There needs to just be an appreciation that there needs to be a much better dialogue between the manager and whoever the sporting director is. I, I don't, I, I think you, you've seen it in terms of the way that Slavisa Jukanovic actually speaks in, in the press. I, I think he, he's actually a reasonable guy. Um, I, I think that everyone can get behind, for example, the way that he talked about Chris Martin and, and, and making sure that Fulham uh, is not a train station, for example. <laughs> he, he, speak, he speaks of reasonable values. Um, and he, he certainly has his own way of doing things. Uh, that's, that's for sure. But I think that he, he deserves a lot of credit and a lot of respect in terms of for the way that he does things. I, I think he needs support, but, but of course there needs to be a statistical input. But the, the, the biggest learning from this has to be in terms of the way that there is a coherence and people are actually kind of working together to, to find the right answer. Um, because evidently <laughs> Craig Klein rubbed so many people up the wrong way that it just created an atmosphere where it was going to be difficult for the team to thrive in, even more so when you are making signings who are not a, who are not good enough for the club. Or I think I think sometimes you need to give players room to grow. Abubakar Kamara is a player who who has shown I think potential to learn, but equally I would question. He, he looks very much a player who was signed on the numbers 
um, in, in terms of the way that he has played so far. I don't know whether he's quite good enough for the championship, but I think that ultimately the club needs to be able, I, I think it, it, it hurts to say this uh, for Fulham fans, but you look at the way that, that, that Brentford work and the way that yep. their chairman, Matthew Benham, for example, made certain allowances for signing a few players in the summer because Dean Smith wanted them. Um, because the statistical data wasn't there, okay, but you know he wanted, for example, Ryan Woods, and he was able to get his player, and he's he's proving good. There needs to just be that that ability to meet in the middle, yeah. and to be able to to go, okay, we can do we can do this your way, and and we see how it works. Just a quick one on that kind of note, Archie, and in terms of what you were saying about the the statistics, we as in we completely agree in terms of finding that balance. It is so key, and and making the kind of you know, it's the personnel that make the numbers work, not the numbers that make the personnel work in that kind of regard. We've had a discussion and, and, a, and there's a website, uh, and it's an article up on the website, as, it, as I'm sure you know uh, from Nick, which uh, talks about the kind of numbers. And one of the things he says is that the numbers for League One and League Two are just readily available. They're there. And uh, we're not quite sure, you know, well, I just wanted to know what your take on the fact that that Klein suggesting that the numbers weren't available and the data wasn't available for these kind of players suggests like a massive oversight in terms of how we run and how the analytics department was being run. Do you think it will be overhauled now in terms of that kind of how, how it works? Or do you think it's just going to be pe- more competent people using the same system? Because that doesn't suggest to me that it's going to be all the answers. I, I think it almost needs a complete overhaul in, in where it's come from and where, what that kind of numbers it's looking at. I don't know about complete overhaul because that was certainly, I, I would say the recruitment the previous summer was, w- was very good yep. on the whole. Agreed. Um, and in, and, and indeed there were, there were in, in, in terms of points being, um, the, the, some of the points that Craig Klein was making, there was, there was something in them. It, it was just down to the application of it. It, it, it is, it, it is a little bit kind of unforgivable in, in, in that sense in that it's taken this for, for this situation to be worked out, but perhaps it can be, perhaps it can be a positive thing in terms of that. Uh, it's been such a painful experience for the club that it can learn from it. I think certainly it learned on the manager front with everything that happened with Felix Magat because him not just being the club's manager um, but being given that summer to uh, buy the whole squad again um, set the club back three years um, and I think the job that Slafisa Jokanovic has done in, after that um, should not be underestimated it, and in this season is going to always be a little bit more difficult because he has raised expectations through the roof yeah. after after the two seasons after the football that you guys and myself had to watch, um, if I speak as a fan here, it was dreadful. It was really, really <laughs> bad. Um, but, but suddenly there was this, this new belief um, amongst, amongst the squad and indeed this, this style of play, which I think will land you either at the very top of the division or somewhere kind of lower to mid-table, such as the pragmatic approach that is present throughout a lot of, um, a, a lot of championship clubs. Um, but I think that Fulham need to structure towards we're trying perhaps to be more too much of a, a Premier League club in the championship in terms of the way that we're playing um, and to, in terms of the way that we're structured as well. I think that's why you see clubs like Sheffield United, for example, who are more or more ready to play a championship kind of way through the way that League One and, and, and whatnot has, has prepared them um, for, for that way. And there's that little bit more hunger, I would say, amongst their players. I think 
that that might seem a little bit tough to level against against the Fulham players, particularly someone like Kevin McDonald, who wears his heart across his uh, who wears his heart on his sleeve. But I think that there needs to be a willingness to get down and 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 really kind of be be ready to do what it takes to get out of the division. It doesn't just have to be our way of doing it. Helps you have you have Leon Clark scoring four goals every other game. What a day. What a man. But that's the thing. If if you if Leon Clark had turned up at Fulham in the summer, I think people would have gone, why are, why are Fulham signing Leon Clark? Like people would have looked at his record and gone, is that the sort of player who can score four goals in a championship game? And I think we need to be careful sometimes of just writing off a player because you think, well, he can never he can never do that because his past evidence has shown that he can't do that. I think that's some of the inflexibility that was shown with the Craig Klein model, for example, in that you're assuming that players in League One and League Two therefore can't play to a championship level, which is rubbish. Look at, I mean, look at Jamie Vardy and the journey that he went on. I mean, that's perhaps an exception, but you have to have this eye for believing that players can go on and achieve. I think that if you're looking at things in that kind of Craig Klein way, then you wouldn't necessarily pick that, that Ryan Sessegnon kind of can... Uh, can go and, and, and do what he's done. Although perhaps, as I'm sure, um, I, I think I've heard more than one of you say, him playing uh, uh, further up the pitch and not at left back might might help that a little bit as well. So I, I think that you need to be able to give players, uh, or at least in terms of with, with, with opinions of them, because don't get me wrong, as, as a fan, I've written off players as well and been pleasantly surprised. I think when Chris Baird came to the club, um, in uh, 2007 under Laurie Sanchez and, and seeing the way that he was defending at, at the beginning. I don't think a lot of Fulham fans really wanted him to stay. And yet there was a man who went on to become a, a cult hero amongst the club because he started playing under the right coach and the right and the right set of players. Yeah. So hopefully in the future, there can be kind of more cult heroes emerging. Uh, I think that Dennis Adoy uh, is, is, is one of them, but I'm not sure whether he's going to be forming the best central defensive partnership for Fulham in the uh, near future. Yeah, we call him <laughs> Dennis Puyol on this podcast. Uh, just um, <laughs> Mostly it was a slip of the tongue from our man David, but it, it's kind of stuck. Um, Archie, thank you so much for your time. I reckon you should do some of this uh, chatting about football for a living. <laughs> that, that, that's that's a very nice thing of you to say, Sam. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe just consider it as a career path. I don't know. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe be a good idea. Um, Archie, uh, if anyone wants to give you a follow, it's at ArchieRT1 on Twitter, isn't it? It is. It is. Thanks very much, guys. I mean, you've Thanks got pl- you've got plenty of followers anyway, but a couple more can't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't say no to another Fulham fan. Absolutely not. Cheers. All right, we're joined now on the phone by George. And he wants to just chat a little bit to us about maybe if Slavisa going would be a good move to Fulham. In fact, you've said in your message, George, a critical analysis on how changing the manager is now important. Sounding like a university thesis, so I'm quite excited to hear this. Well, so obviously Slavisa has been in his longest tenure at a club whilst he's been at Fulham. He's been relatively successful, um, you know, he's got the best win percentage rate since John Tigernal. And he's got us playing an entertaining but not necessarily successful style of football, which a lot of Fulham fans are taking him into their hearts. And and I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. And, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the times we've had with him. But, you know, it's all about longevity. So he's been reasonably successful in his short time with us. But... He has a, a record where he can turn teams round rather than develop teams. So, you know, previously he's been with Watford, got them promoted, um, and it seems like he's almost run his course with us. 
I mean, um, Friday certainly felt that way, George. It's, it was it was it was a limp performance, but surely the key to longevity from a Fulham perspective is to keep rather than sack managers. That's that's the other side of the argument for me. Yeah, which which is true, but I don't think Slavisa has had experience of of managing teams for a long period of time. You know, as I said, he's been with us. He's been with Fulham as his longest tenure. He's never been with a club longer and. I think the fact that he left Watford when they got promoted speaks volumes because maybe they had doubts about that as well. Because, you know, as you can see, there's been issues throughout the club. I know he's not had um, the greatest start. You know, I know people say pre-season is not um, necessarily an indicator of how a season's going to go, but we had a really poor pre-season. He's been unfortunate with injuries. Um, you know, it's debatable. We lost Scott Malone. We lost Sonia Luco, who were effectively first-team players. Um, and he seems like he's not been able to solve that issue. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, this whole money ball technique. And, you know, he, there was quite clear unrest over the summer with the signings. Um, but is he stifling the team by not using Graham or Molo more re- uh, and rather using sort of Rui Font out wide, which is not his natural position? There's so many contributing factors um, to him sort of not managing the team well. And um, I don't think he's the right man going forward, in all honesty. Yeah, George, uh, Dom here, mate. It was actually something that got brought up, I think, on the pod about a month ago, that Slav maybe have started the building blocks for the progress for the club, but maybe isn't the man to take it forward. It is a very sort of good argument to push forward because cl- he is sort of stagnated. He seems to become quite stubborn with his team selections, like he's paid £9 million for a number nine is playing him out wide when he's not letting out uh, wingers into the team, such as Molo and Graham. So, do you, for me, Slav he, last season, I think we actually sh- it wasn't it was sort of the minimum after a while that we should have really expected anyway because the way we were playing, we should have been top two. So you've also as well as Slav did for me, he also he obviously could have done better. But do you think that it really is the end it, the end of his time? He is becoming stagnant, and there we need to get a, a, a sort of breath of new fresh ideas and new tactics to uh, push us forward to go for those playoffs and top two again I think I think it's better now so there's nine games until the winter transfer window opens and you know our next five games you know we've got Derby at home Sheffield United away Mill at home Brentford away and Birmingham at home you know I can't see us getting more than five points and you know if we got rid of him sooner rather than later that would give a new manager you know chucking some names are out, you know, Karanka's out there, Pardew's available, even Craig Shakespeare. That would give them time to assess the team, to see what we've got available, and then give them time to bring in, you know, some fresh blood. And, you know, if I think within these next five games, if we don't see a turnaround, I could effectively say that our season will be over. Because we're not going to, you know, we're not going to change drastically like that. It's not going to be, you know, two sides of a coin. It's a, it's a progression, um, and we just seem so spineless, you know, such poor performances from such key players. And and I just don't know if he's if he's got the team there anymore either. I, I, there's something not right. And I'm, I'm not sure what to exactly put my finger on it. But I think change is imminent. And I think change will only be good for the club. Uh, just a just a quick one on, on that point, George. I, I think there's a lot a, a lot to be said for for a lot of the points you're raising here, and I, and I'm, I agree with you on on, a, on numerous things. I think one of the things that was most annoying me that is that you know what these stories about you know Klein have revealed this week to me, and one of the things that no one seems to be taking out of it 
is that if Slavisa has put those players into the under-23s, you know, Suarez, Molo, uh, because because they were Klein signings and he was trying to make a point, then that is terrible management. As in, if he is playing, is he taking players out who are, you know, actually, very, you know, good players that we've seen and, and, and people, uh, you know, rate, you know, at one point, Rafa Suarez was on a three-man shortlist to, to be signed for Liverpool this summer. And, you know, they went, they ended up going with Andy Robertson instead, but that's no, that's no slight. Andy Robertson's an excellent footballer. Uh, and for someone, for him to be putting him in the under twenty threes to make a point, uh, and then play Ryan Cessna on at left back, which is clearly not his natural position, where it seems to be, you know, making up, you know, doing his management not for what's best for the club, but what's best for him, and that worries me unduly. I I, I definitely agree. Um, it seems like Slav has taken micromanagement to a whole new level. He's not got control of transfers, so he's trying to control things in other ways, and team selection is one of those ways. You know. Shad Khan, um, Tony Khan, they can't pick the side. He picks the 11 on the field, and I think that's him trying to make a point. You know, Suarez, from what I've seen, small parts, seems like a completely um, apt left-back. And as you said, it's not setting on natural performance, and I was actually calling for him to be dropped because it is not good for a player's development to be continuously um, picked apart, you know, if it's not his natural position, it's just going to knock his confidence. And then eventually when we do need him to fill in that gap, he's going to be completely spared of it. And I just don't think Slav has managed this, as you said, this team at all well. We've got options and he doesn't seem to want to use them. He's quite he's quite um, sure on you know what players he wants on the field. And I just don't think as a whole he's managing it correctly. I don't think mine is sort of like a question. I think mine is sort of like a, a point that is off the back of you in the fact that you said that you feel like he's dropping players to make a point I feel like with Slav's managerial style and and the sort of class of manager that he's come from in in the fact that there's clearly some sort of ideology there that he only plays with a certain type of player and if he hasn't had that player given to him by Klein or by the scouting team or, or whatever the responsibility is and I think that that making a point really there becomes a point where the balance needs to be tipped in favour of either the club, i.e. Klein, or within the in the favour of the manager. And I think that that there is a defining moment where the the balance really tipped in Slavisa's favour, and we'll probably see that the club will back him in the next, you know, in the January transfer window. And over those next nine games, as you rightly say, he's got nine games now to to make the the point to the club that he's the right guy and that we should be trusting him to build the future. I also agree with you. I think that he he gets the clubs to a certain point of, in in their development, and then it sort of stalls because he is a, a manager of a one track mindset. At, in the same way that Guardiola was when he first started, in the same way that countless other managers out of that mould are. And I think it will take probably a bad experience here where he gets sacked for him to actually say, "I need a plan B." Completely agree. You know, he's never had to have a plan B. Yeah. You know, plan A has been his go to and. You know, it seems like he's coming up short. And I just think, you know, strike while the iron is hot, bring in someone new, give us a chance to actually set, like save this season and still have a crack at the playoffs because, mm. you know, we've been spineless, as I said, and toothless in our last few performances. And I just can't stand it anymore personally. Yeah. Um, George, thank you so much for your call. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. Hopefully it is a bit more than five points in the next five. 
Let's hope so, boys. Take care. Thanks very much. Thanks, George. Cheers, Cheers George. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, so we're joined now by Elliot on the phone. Um, was at Wolves on Friday. And, um, Elliot, you've got a few points to make regarding our, our lack of attacking Naus on Friday and how potentially a change of system could benefit us. First of all, thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Um, I just want to say, it's just, it's just the issue I feel that we have is not being able to stick with a, a front three. We haven't, we haven't got... We've continually changed through rotating through people like Aite. I mean, obviously, we had the injury to Ojo and Piazon. But we keep playing people like Rui Font out wide um, mm-hmm. and uh, a bit with Kamara. You know, we've got him out wide. We, it just seems like we're unsure. Well, Slab's unsure as to what our strength is. And we, we don't seem to have you know, any kind of, if you look at Friday especially, any kind of attacking edge in that final third, we always seem to uh, lose the ball. We've got no retention. If you look at last season, where we had Chris Martin up top, someone that could actually hold on to the ball, you know, spread the play. It just seems a bit like well, it's, it's completely different. And, and it's and it's that's that's our issue. I feel that we can't build on an attack if we can't hold the ball up in that final part. Well, you look at the permutations of the front three that we've played this season, and barely ever have we actually played two games in a row with the same attacking front three I think the only time we might have gone on a bit of a run and I'm just from memory here is roughly around the Nottingham Forest QPR games where Ojo was mostly playing on the right with with Font up top and uh, potentially Ayiti on the left I don't know if it's escaping my memory so surely that lack of consistency is affecting us negatively yeah definitely I'd agree with that I mean it's you need consistency otherwise the team you know the guys don't play with each other week in week out they don't understand where someone's making a run or what kind of uh, position they'll be in without you know having to look up all the time. Uh, I think if we stuck with a front three and actually gave people like Font you know, 90 minutes and also be prepared to make big changes, play tests up on that left wing that everyone's been crying out for, uh, drop Aite perhaps or you know, push Aite out right and keep a you know, Font in the middle and give that a run of, of more than one game, two games, see what happens. I, I personally think that, you know, we're definitely going to reap rewards from that. I think having a consistent front three is something that we need and something that we relied upon greatly last year and something that propelled us up the table. From my personal opinion, I feel like Cabano has been basically devoid of any criticism this year, despite putting in some pretty inept and insipid performances. I just wanted to get how you felt about his overall start to the campaign and and like what he what he really does add to this front three in its current state. Cabano is, um, in my he's not been great when he's given the opportunity to start. When he's when he's had that chance to start, he doesn't really seem to see that he's always put in a bit of a poor performance. He's been amazing off the bench, and you know, look at the run of games he had at the back end of last season was fantastic. And um, but this season it hasn't hasn't clicked when he started on the pitch. I'm not sure why that is. Um, I don't know if you know, defensively he works as hard as well. Uh, tracking back, I feel like that's another issue we have with our wingers and that we don't offer as much protection to the you know the wing backs that we have. Um, you know, and people like Cabano, whilst he has you know, a massive amount of talent and can quite clearly produce when he comes on as a sub, it just seems, especially when he started, it's just not it's not been good enough, really. 
Would you, in in your opinion, what would you do to sort of aid this front three? Uh, would it be a change in formation, change in personnel, or just stay, sticking with it and hope that it would eventually click and they'd get to how it was last year? Without Kenny, we're missing that crucial cog, obviously. Mm. Um, do you stick with the front three or maybe change to a, a, a front two with a, a Font and a Kamara working off each other? It, it's hard to say. I mean, that's a big change for the, for the team as a whole, tactically. Um, but, you know, we've got a good chance now to try and implement that perhaps over the international break. Yep. Maybe a tactic change is the right thing to do now. Um, we saw Slab obviously try and do the 3-5-2 uh, the other week. I think it was on Friday. Um, and it, it it was a bit rushed perhaps to put that in without really having any... Well, I don't know what goes on in the training sessions, but it, it doesn't seem like they would have had a lot of time to you know really drill that in and, and, and practice working that so, I think now, if you do want to try a tactic change, which I think would work, potentially, you know, it changes what the other teams know about us, especially. Um, I think now is the time to really hone in on, on, a, on a new tactic and just and give it a go because this this forty-three-one that we've been playing, uh, it's just it hasn't it hasn't worked yep. for the past month. All right, Elliot. Um, Don, mate, what, um, what what do you think we can actually expect for the rest of the season? Because for me, I think people are expecting too much after what we performed like last season. Do you think it is just a season of stability to an extent? And then maybe if Slav's still in charge by the end of the season, I don't think he will. But if he has like a transfer window under his control, I guess you'd argue that maybe he could give it a one full go next season. Because for me, the season's already over. I can't really see us challenging how well the other teams are playing. Do you think we can still make a decent challenge toward promotion this season? I don't think so. I don't think we can make a decent challenge, a decent push. I mean, you look at the run we had, like, whilst it wasn't you know, extraordinary, you know, someone, some, someone put some stats up on Twitter of, of teams doing similar, if not better runs than us um, from the you know, start of the new year. I, it, it is possible to do that again, but I don't think we have that capacity. We have the confidence in the team biggest tell about whether Slab's going to stay is what happens in January and uh, how much of a freedom he gets in the transfer market. I can't see him staying much longer after that if, if we have these continual issues with, with the whole recruitment. Just for me, I don't think uh, playoffs is attainable. Well, it is going to be it is going to be tricky now, especially considering the run we've gone on uh, in October and the beginning of November. Fingers crossed, though, we can make a bit of a change, Elliot. And um, thank you so much for appearing on the <coughs> Fulhamish phone in. No problem. Thanks very much for having me on, guys. Thanks, Thanks mate. mate. Cheers, mate. Later Speak to you early, soon. Too. Okay. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today on the Fulhamish phone in. And um, thank you to all of you who have got involved, and also to all of you who we didn't quite have time to get on to this evening. Just just nice to get some other points of view and plenty to think about in this next week and a half break before the derby game. A lot of talking points, a lot of you know, different opinions to the ones we have in the studio. No, a lot, really of, points, a lot of points raised there that have, have legitimate grievances, shall we say, and, uh, and, and I think that we'll see some of these come to fruition over the next couple of weeks. Um, just to say that our next podcast will probably be up uh, midweek next week we'll try and do a little bit of a derby preview so that will probably be a, a shortened podcast might even be another living Sammy James living room special uh, we'll await and see um, have an enjoyable international break Jack you're looking forward to the big game come on you boys in green
I guess for the rest of us, we'll just enjoy the friendlies or maybe a Hong Kong. We're going to qualify for the AFC Cup in Dubai next year. That is actually big things. going to happen. I'm excited for you, Dom. Lebanon and Hong Kong qualify from the group, I'm telling you. There we go. Right, um, we'll speak to you next week. And to Ben Jarman, Don Betts and Jack Collins, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. 